Welcome to the latest instalment of The Curious Capitalist, brought to you by the Board of Conscious Capitalism in Connecticut. The Curious Capitalist is a series of podcasts where we take the opportunity to not only speak to board members from the Conscious Capitalism Connecticut chapter, but also to business owners, startups and entrepreneurs. The Curious Capitalist is available on all of the world's biggest podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music and Spotify. Never miss an episode again and subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts from. On this episode of The Curious Capitalist, I am excited, genuinely excited, to be speaking with Dr. Al Polizzi. Doesn't that sound like a very, very impressive introduction? Al is from Verdant Consulting and has over two decades of human capital executive experience. What does that really mean? It means she knows how people tick, especially in the workplace. And today I am really excited to be learning a little bit more about the conscious culture tenant of conscious capitalism in the context of our current cultural time we find ourselves in. So without further ado, Al, Welcome to The Curious Capitalist. Thanks for having me, Claire. Was that a dramatic enough introduction for you? <laughs> oh, there was a lot of flourish. Yes, I Oh, it. you know, that's why they pay me the small bucks. So come on, Al, tell me about yourself. You have the very grand title. Tell me a little bit about how you got to this point in your career and what put that fire in your belly? You know, it's funny because the doctorate is in American literature. It hasn't really been applicable to what I do, but I'm one of those people who likes to finish what I start. So um, my first career, I was an English professor oh, cool. and uh, a poet and realized there's no money in that, oddly. And so <laughs> transitioned uh, my skills of creating simplicity from complexity and helping people unlock their potential through learning in the corporate space. Uh, where there is more money. And so I uh, grew up through the change management, learning and development space, uh, just to kind of give historical context. My first projects were focused on Y2K for the wow. older listeners. Yeah, I know. You dated Absolutely. yourself there, didn't you? I know. You know you what? I'm, I am 50 and proud. So Are you really? I am, yes. No uh, which, way. Ha! Plays into my story a little bit. Okay, so, so like this is a podcast. Hang on a minute, Al. This is a podcast, I'm telling you, and I'm not blowing smoke up here. There is no way you look 50. You either have a seriously good plastic surgeon or some exceptional face cream. You no. look great. You um, look great. Really good camera is what I have. Really blurry <laughs> camera is what I have. Gotta love a filter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just smudged. It's like um, Elizabeth Taylor with the Vaseline lens. Anyway, so for 20 years, I spent my career helping people grow through learning. I did it for a wide variety of companies. I've been in 15 different industries, everything from financial software to pizza and kind of grew through that. In 2016, I went through the experience of having my position eliminated and took that opportunity to pivot and expand beyond learning and development into broader talent and organizational development, which is what brought me here to Boston, where I um, worked for Boston Beer Company, which most people know from Sam Adams and Twisted Tea and Angry Orchard and Truly. And then I was most recently, a year ago, the head of HR for the fourth largest veterinary hospital company in the US. Oh, cool. And I loved it. I loved working with veterinarians and helping support them, especially as essential workers. 
and they were just absolutely lovely. But through that experience and a series of events a year ago, I realized that I was burnt out. And so I was like, okay, well, everybody's talking about burnout. So surely somebody's figured something out. I just want to go learn skills so I can get better. Mm -hmm. And I came up empty handed because there's a lot of garbage out in the market right now. True. Not a lot of things based on science. So I turned 50 last year and I decided that my birthday gift to myself was to take my 30 years of adult learning experience and make the program that I wish I would have had. And so that's what I've done. So that's what Verdant Consulting is now. Um, We focus on resiliency, emotional agility, psychological safety skills based on neuroscience and cognitive behavior theory that are focused on teaching people the tactics that they need to navigate in today's workplace. Fantastic. Slightly separate to this, and it may well get cut out on the editing floor, but I did a fantastic interview with the Yale guys and their emotional intelligence center there. And it was really, truly fascinating. I'm really interested to hear your perspective, if you like, with a HR hat on, you know, from somebody who has real experience in the trenches working with employees. I think this is going to be quite fascinating. So tell me a little bit then about what your program is exactly. How does it work? And how did you find the magic to reducing burnout or fixing burnout? Yeah, but it wasn't very complicated, but it required what I need to really do some research. And this is where the doctorate actually came in handy, which is I sat and I spent three months reading hundreds, if not thousands of articles on resiliency studies, burnout recovery studies, well-being and emotional well-being studies in the workplace. And I wanted to look at the science to see what were the specific tactics that people could do that would help them bounce back more quickly, prevent burnout from happening, just be able to better manage the emotional load of the common workplace. And the answers were not that complicated. The pattern became very clear very quickly. And so my program teaches people that in a five 90 minute sessions that are live training sessions. And then I built an app that's a companion that has e-learning that goes alongside it. So what I built again was what I would have liked and what I would have bought as the head of leadership development to meet the skills that people need for today's workplace. Gotcha. And this is something that I guess HR managers, HR directors around the, the country can buy in for their employees in bulk. Correct. Fantastic. Fantastic. So we are, I'm hoping at the tail end of this pandemic, but it has this wonderful way. It's a bit like drinking a can of Coke too fast. Keeps coming back, doesn't it? To to revisit us. I'm not sure that's a good analogy, but I'm going to go with it. Um, (laughs) It's like a burp, isn't it? It is a burp. I mean, let's go ahead and name it. But here's the thing. It's a Coke on top of, you know, maybe some egg salad that you bought. Oh, easy. You've gone too far out. Because here's the thing is that let's say the pandemic (laughs) went away tomorrow. That Mm -hmm. doesn't erase all the stressors that people are experiencing right now. No. I mean, we have unprecedented and generation defining changes, call it existential crisis with climate change, social unrest. I mean, look, about a year ago, we had the Confederate flag on our nation's capital. That had never happened before. We are in turmoil only increased by the pandemic, but isn't because of that alone. 
no, you're absolutely right. And it's interesting that we should be talking today. It's, it's the beginning of February and of course it's Black History Month as well. And, you know, that ties in so nicely to the, I don't know, social unrest. It is really palatable just at the moment. And it's interesting, you know, that there wasn't anything around to help people manage high pressured environments and that there's such a need still, there's a huge need. Mm. You know, my partner is a mental health therapist. They're full. Every yeah. one of the colleagues is Absolutely. full. There mm -hmm. is no professionals available because there is a dire need and a dire mm -hmm. shortage. So let's talk about the pandemic in terms of this remote working because it's changed the landscape for many, many people, myself included. For freelancers like me, it's I've died and gone to heaven because we've just progressed remote work 20 years in the space of this pandemic. So, you know, I can see some benefits from a work point of view as a freelancer. But for people who are used to not perhaps a nine to five, I'm not sure that exists here, but a more office-based role or a static role, and they're having to work off their dining room tables next to their child who's doing their online hybrid studies, this is a hugely pressurized environment, is it not? Absolutely. And I mean, look, we evolved over 200,000 years to be tribal animals, right? So we we are social in how we're wired. And so to pull ourselves away from that, remove that, creates, again, an emotional load that we have to understand, accept, and um, get our heads around. We can't just pretend like it's not there. That being said, I do think there have been some benefits. Like you said, freelance work has opened up. I mean, one of my partners is in New Zealand. That never would have happened in no. a, a different world, right? But Collaborative work is just exactly. fantastic for the creatives in particular. Yes, absolutely. But the other thing is, Claire, that we have welcomed all of these people into our homes. I know people's cats look like, I know how they live. Like we know people at a deeply personal level and everyone had this facade of professionalism that, you know, now we see the real people. We see the gym shorts when they get up, right? We see that we all have funkiness that makes us <laughs> approachable and authentic. And I think that that's a beautiful thing as well. It's very personal. You're right. I'm just thinking, you know, when it first sort of unfolded, there was elements of my friends like, oh, I need to get a piece of art. Okay. What happened to you? No, no, no. For Zoom. I need it for Zoom. <laughs> I need something nice to put behind me. And then, of course, Zoom released the ability to blur one's background, which yeah, is just, just awful. make it up. Let's just put fiction back there because we so, don't want to actually show people how we live. No. And then you lost part of their head or they had backgrounds yeah. and things. Yeah. It's fascinating. You're right. It's a really deeply personal connection that you have with people over Zoom. They wouldn't normally have seen your living room or your dining room table or I guess Ikea are doing a roaring trade in desks still, I'm sure. Yes, yes, I'm <laughs> sure. But the other thing is uh, you lose that connective tissue, the informality, the spontaneity. And I know some some companies are starting to get into creating that in virtual workspaces. I think that's going to be something that's coming up in the next 18 months is where, you know, you can kind of essentially have that experience digitally where I can just tap on someone's shoulder, but not, you know, um, but remotely. So I think, I think we'll start to see that evolve a little bit to better meet our needs and how, again, how our brains were wired from an evolutionary perspective. That excites me. I wonder how they're going to do that. I have to be honest, my background is in radio and then obviously into podcasting. I do still to this day, though I love my freedom, 
and my unlimited time off, just saying, this 10-day business that America has, it just blows my mind, is the water cooler culture. Is yeah. that chatting? What did you do at the weekend? You know, in England, it's yeah. like, oh, your football team lost or, yeah. oh, you know, Jim's lost his dog or whatever it is. That that human interaction, it actually helps sculpt how we see the world, you know, and, and yeah. how and what's happened, of course, is it, it it does go so beautifully segued into the social unrest, because what we're doing is we're living life through a screen. And, you know, it's questionable about whose motives are good and true, depending on what platform you're on, you know, and there's been a lot of talk about that, you know, about how we consume our media and, and mm. how that affects us both mentally and emotionally. I mean, I know that during certain periods of history since I've been in the States, I've had to just like not go on Facebook. I can't be trusted. So <laughs> I need to put my phone down. And we I've had this conversation with my family. I'm like, no, I can't get in the ring with an idiot today. So I'm going to put my phone down because actually my mental health will be affected. My impact on my family will be affected if I decide to join this person in the ring and have this debate. Now, imagine if you were not a freelancer and that was your boss or that was your peer that you had a combined deliverable. Right? <laughs> Think about the emotional strain. You're like, OK, here's the kind of stuff that we address in our training, which is, OK, well, I shouldn't feel that way. I should be professional. I should this. And then you get into this like loop around what you should be and beating yourself up for not feeling that way. And you get into these circular thought processes that can really, really push you towards burnout. And they're damaging, you know, it's not just, uh, I guess, a work point of view of a burnout, but it can affect all areas of your life. You know, yeah. we have a, a bit of a phrase, you know, that I'm familiar with. I don't know if it's crossed the pond, which is should is shit and butt is bullshit. <laughs> And it stood me no, in really... Can I get a shirt? I want a shirt that's... Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that sounds I'll get on perfect. Amazon merch and knock that out. But it's true, you know, that the stories that we tell ourselves, oh, I should be, I should be doing this. We're permanently beating ourselves into a position where we're never going to actually say, actually, I did that really well. I did, I did enough today. Never happens. My little mantra is I try to remind myself I am enough. And mm -hmm. if I do my best, that is enough, you know, full stop. There That's is no, huge. yeah, it is. And, and it took a long time of being in toxic relationships within the workplace to get to that point of, you know, appreciation for sure. Hybrid workspaces we've touched on. I feel like the pandemic has pushed topics to the front of their mind that weren't there before. It feels to me like I've been passionate about climate change since I was in school. I was blessed with a geography teacher in the UK who told me it was my responsibility to save the world. It was my responsibility to find a solution. It was my responsibility to not say, yes, I'll have that plastic bag to carry home my one can of Coke. I was drummed into me that that was my responsibility. And here we are, I'm now a mother, and now I'm looking at my son saying, it's your responsibility. And I suddenly feel the weight of that responsibility. And I'm so delighted that the conversations about climate change, though they're not moving at a pace or in a way that I would like, that they're happening now. They're really happening. And they're happening with, you know, everyday Joes. What's your take on the evolution of that? Well, I think the climate made it very difficult to ignore when the grid almost broke in Texas and they're sitting there staring down another ice storm right now when we have you know floods in the way that we've had them hurricanes 
the things that have happened have forced us to have these conversations. Unfortunately, it took us having to get hit in the face to be able to take it seriously. Mm-hmm. And I think what's happening is it's an, I call it an existential crisis because it's terrifying. I think that given everything else going on, you know, our ability to take action, our ability to see a way forward is mitigated by all of the additional stressors that we talked about, be it the pandemic, be it social unrest, be it, you know, murder of people of color, just it, it goes on and on. What I say is in the workplace, again, because that's where I focus, you don't have two brains, right? You don't like swap one out whenever you clock in. I wish I could. And I know. Wouldn't that honestly. be good? And then I'd like to get an upgrade, actually. But <laughs> If all of these things, I mean, they they take a toll. And so if I'm hijacked, I can't really think about the work I'm doing anymore clearly because I've got all these other stressors happening. I mean, the other thing is that we are a country, a world in mourning. We've had millions of people die. We've had health care and people lose their health in a significant way way and we need to be able to give that the space that it also deserves Mm. so that we can mourn our losses very much so and hopefully that the people who make some very highbrow decisions about the benefit of masses if you like take that on board when they're making such decisions in the future you know let's hope Mm -hmm. that from this is like a catalyst if you like for real change or maybe yeah, I yeah. maybe I just was dreaming then and just woke up. Well, Sorry about that. So yeah, no, that's okay. <laughs> you know what, Claire? Look, it is driving change. Four point three million people quit their jobs in December. Four point three million people quit their jobs in November. People are voting with their feet. If that's not enough for you to pay attention, then I really don't know what is. I think that's a podcast for another day and it will be the uncensored <laughs> version perhaps we should do. I'm, I'm really holding my tongue here as a Brit. I'm like, I'm biting down on the side, but I feel like we should have the X-rated version of this another time out. Oh, let's go. We can make it happen. Let's do it. It'll be a bestseller, I'm sure. Oh my God. The Brit gets ranty uh, with the doctor. <laughs> yes. Oh Perfect. dear. So the other thing I wanted to touch on, is the psychological safety connection. I love this. So I do uh, a number of different podcasts and some of them are within the manufacturing community. And I found this quite interesting because the work environment for many, many people can be a really dangerous and hazardous place. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm fairly safe in this office. I mean, I could headbutt my microphone. You know, we could have um, an electrical malfunction, but I'm generally safe, but I am not uh, the majority. And the impact of psychological well-being and psychological safety linked to physical safety. I love that. Tell me a little bit about that. It's huge. You know, I've made some um, social media posts about how we shouldn't assume because you wear a bump cap that you don't have feelings, right? That if you have muscles, you don't have heart. And I'm actually going to be doing a session on, I'm doing a series on psychological safety uh, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be having a gentleman from Melbourne, another accent for you. Let's toss that in the mix. And we're going to be talking about the work he does around psychological safety with big construction projects in Australia. Ooh. Study after study after study shows that if you don't have a sense of belonging or psychological safety, I'll describe what psychological safety is in a minute because I feel like it gets misunderstood pretty easily. But if you don't have that, 
the chances of physical injury, harm, and death increase exponentially. And it's just, I have a bunch of data on my website people can look at too, but it's just study after study shows this. So if I don't feel like I can ask for help when a box is too heavy to pick up, I'm going to pick it up and chances are I'm going to strain myself. So yeah, the hippy dippy organization of OSHA says that Muscle strain, which is the highest, most expensive cost that you have in most operations-based companies, increased by 30% when you don't have psychological safety. Again, OSHA. And the International Standards Organization, ISO, which again, people know from environmental health and safety, they know Mm -hmm. from total quality management. They just came out with the global guidelines for psychological health and safety this summer. Again, not the most hippy-dippy yoga retreat organization. These are- you know, it's antiseptic and based on science. And so here's what psychological safety is. It's the ability to take risks without fear of negative repercussions, reasonable Mm -hmm. risks. So that includes being able to ask questions, being able to point out problems, being able to make suggestions. And so those are pretty simple things, but in many toxic cultures, that safety doesn't exist. And so We've seen lots of studies that show, you know, in the healthcare industry, how dangerous that can be. Supply chain in manufacturing, how dangerous that can be. So psychological safety has three components. It's about, do I have the right structures in place so that everybody knows what they're doing, why they're doing it, and that it matters? Do we have the safe environment? And are there pressures I should know about that cause stress to increase more than it should? And then do the right expectations of behavior. And I think what happens, people focus on the expectations of behavior and they think, oh, psychological safety is just everybody's nice, but it's not. It's everyone can take risks. And when Mm -hmm. we argue, we argue about ideas and not about people. I like it. I like it a lot. It makes it is. Yeah, I really (laughs) do. It makes sense. And like how it sits, of course, within, you know, conscious capitalism in that tenant of being creating that conscious culture. What a perfect example. What a perfect example. Leaders should be uh, taking great note of some of those uh, big organizations who are, you know, taking note of this, you know, for sure. Well, one of the ones that I use as an example of where psychological safety, the absence of it killed people was with Boeing and the issues that Boeing had. People tried to raise the issues and concerns with what was happening from a safety perspective, and they were categorically ignored and people died. So if we don't have psychological safety, there are serious impact and financial risk to the business. This is what they talk about in ISO 45003 mm-hmm. to your business. This isn't just about a bunch of feel-goodery. It's about protecting your business. And you know, that's the key gambit to take from that, isn't it? Is hit them in their wallet. Because the reason probably those people stay quiet is because of the fear of the financial losses mm-hmm. that would result yeah. from it. And bizarrely, you're going to get it anyway. So it's... Yeah. Uh, or the embarrassment yeah. or their own like childhood, oh. whatever crap they're carrying around. Like it's, there's all kinds of stuff. And where... it's irreparable, irreparable, the damage that can be done yes. um, by not taking, you know, some of these things more seriously. It's not hippy dippy. It actually makes good 
capitalist sense as well. It really does. All based on science, you know. Well, you know what though? Not everybody likes science, do they? (laughs) I'm just really spend. I'm putting it out time with those kind of people. Though, (laughs) just gonna be honest. (laughs) Listen, we'll keep our science debate for our next podcast, which will be the X-rated version. It's been such a pleasure speaking to you today. I really hope we get the opportunity to have another chat another time about another topic and bang the worlds to rights, as we would say. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on The Curious Capitalist. I wish you well. How can people get in touch with you and find out more about your incredible program, five 90-minute sessions and an app to boot? How can they find out more or connect with you to carry on the conversation? Oh, awesome. Yes. So you can always visit my website. It's verdantconsulting.net. You just type in Verdant Consulting on Google. I'm going to come to the top and you can always find me on LinkedIn. I use the hashtag B underscore Verdant. I have my own podcast called the Be Verdant Podcast as well. So on all social channels, except for TikTok, because as I said, I'm an old lady. Um <laughs> You can find me using that hashtag. Listen, listen, if we do a second potty, right, and it's the X-rated version, and we have to check that box that says not for minors, we are definitely going to have to include you and me doing some kind of TikTok affair because I've never explored it either. You know what? If, if with you, I'd be willing to try. Yeah, because I look worse than you. You're safe. <laughs> Oh, listen, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you today. I wish you well. And I do hope we get the opportunity to have a chat in the future about another topic, which is really key to the four tenets of conscious capitalism. Thanks, Al. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of The Curious Capitalist. If you would like to find out more about conscious capitalism, or if you would like to join the local chapter, visit the website connecticut.consciouscapitalism.org. The Curious Capitalist is available on all podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music and Spotify. If you have enjoyed listening to this episode, subscribe to and share this podcast today. This podcast was created and produced by Red Rock Branding, redrockbranding.com.